Well, good evening. Tonight we look at the next verse here in Matthew chapter 5 as we've been working our way through the Beatitudes. We come to verse number 6. Matthew 5, verse 6, in a sermon that I've titled, Filled with Righteousness. Filled with Righteousness. Now, as we've previously stated, uh, as we've been looking here at Matthew chapter 5 for a few weeks, that each one of these Beatitudes rises above the one that precedes it. In other words, they're all building off of each other. It is higher to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness as we're going to see here in verse number 6, then it is to be meek, as it says in verse number 5, or it is to mourn in verse number 4, or it is to be poor in spirit in verse number 3. But as we previously established, you can't skip any of these steps. You need to go in the order in which they begin. No person begins hungering and thirsting after righteousness without first being convinced of the poverty of a spirit, without then being convinced or, or then mourning over his sin, and then without first humbling himself in the sight of God. Now, last week, we established that the meek person is the one who is content with what God has given him and where God has him. He's not seeking self-advancement. He's not seeking any sort of self-glorification. And his goals and aspirations are not focused on something or even accumulating uh, more of what this world offers. In other words, the meek person is not hungering and thirsting after the things of this world. His sights are focused on something much higher and nobler, and that is Christ's righteousness. He has realized that all that this world has to offer is vanity, and he is more than pleased to leave it all behind him in search of something that is actually going to bring him lasting satisfaction. Why settle for things that are going to get old? Why settle for things that have a shelf life? Why settle for things that will never last when you can pursue that which is heavenly and eternal? And in case you're thinking that you can pursue the things of the world simultaneously pursuing the things of God as well, let me remind you, what we're told, one chapter over in Matthew chapter 6. Turn over with me to Matthew chapter 6 and look at what it says in verse number 24. Matthew 6 verse 24. This is all part of the same sermon. Matthew chapter 5 begins Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And in verse number 24, he says this. He says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon, he says. You cannot pursue the temporal while at the same time pursuing the eternal. And that is why you don't get to the step of hungering and thirsting after righteousness without the first three stepping stones. Being poor in spirit, mourning over that, being meek, and then coming to this fourth step. You have to be completely cured of the desire for pursuing temporal things before you can ever set your sight on pursuing eternal things. All those selfish desires need to be cleaned out. They need to be driven as far away from you as possible. You need to be emptied of all of it, which is what we see the meek person doing. Or else you're never going to be hungering. You're never going to be thirsting after righteousness. Again, we're, we're climbing up the ladder one step at a time. But remember, as I said, as much as we're ascending up the ladder, we're also descending down the ladder. With each step, we are growing more in spiritual maturity. 
But with each step, we're also submitting ourselves a little more underneath God. With each step, we're yielding over our will to his will, as opposed to to doing what we think is best for ourselves. So we are ascending while also descending. So as we look here at this next beatitude, verse number six of Matthew chapter five, notice first the object that is desired. The object that is desired. Notice what it says there in verse number six. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The object that is desired. Now, the object is clearly stated here to be righteousness, but what does that look like? It's not something you can go to a store and buy. There are several aspects of righteousness that the blessed man is hungering and thirsting after. And I want to point these out. First, righteousness before God. He is seeking righteousness before God. When you first realize your sin, you first trusted in Christ as your Savior, you began to long for righteousness before God. You realized you were a sinner. You understood that because of your sin, you were condemned in the eyes of God and were thus unrighteous. But you had a desire to be righteous as you heard the gospel preached unto you, as you heard the gospel shared. You desired to have the guilt and the stain of all of your sin removed from you. Perhaps you asked someone the question, what must I do to be saved? Which is another way of asking, how can I be made righteous in the sight of God? You weren't satisfied until you heard that Jesus Christ died in your place on the cross for you where he bore the full weight and the full punishment of all of your sin. And when you began to comprehend that Jesus Christ has worked out a perfect righteousness, not for himself, but for the unrighteous like you and me, you realize that you are now made righteous in the sight of God because of the righteousness of Christ which is imputed to you through faith in him. The realization of your sinful state before God caused you to seek after righteousness before God. So you're seeking righteousness before God, but you're also seeking a righteous name. You're seeking a righteous name. This is what happens after we're saved. We seek a righteous name. When a believer's eyes are open to see that Christ is his righteousness, it is not enough for him to realize that all of his sins are been forgiven. Now that is, that is wonderful. I'm not going to downplay or even minimize salvation in the least. But once a person is saved and once a a person realizes what he's been saved from, there's a whole new outlook in his mind as he's contemplating what his life should now look like. And he desires to have a righteous name. He desires to now live in such a way that is honoring to the one who has just brought him salvation. He's thrilled that his sins are forgiven, but now he realizes just how powerful that sin is and how it manages to continually contaminate the things that he does. He's disgusted with himself and the things that he's allowed to come into his life, all the bad habits that have been consuming him, that have a grip on his life, which he now knows should no longer have a place in his life. The person who's just saved wants that righteous name because he wants his entire nature to change so that he might get a fresh start. One that is not influenced by sin and not tempted to do things that have brought him so much pain and anguish. And when you see this, this is such an incredible thing. When you see God change people, where their entire conversation changes, where their behavior 
undergoes a complete transformation. It's a really an incredible sight because you see that God is working in such a clear way in their life. People who would regularly, and I've seen this, I've, I've known people who would use such vulgar language completely transformed to the point that such language, when they hear it from someone else's mouth, is absolutely detestable to them. These people have seen that the greatest transformation in their lives as Christ has saved them and given them all new desires, and they wish so bad to be able to just hit the reset button on their life and start brand new and wish that they can just kind of erase all of the years that they were unsaved and living apart from Christ so that all that they would be known for is being righteous in the eyes of God because of the salvation that they have through Jesus Christ. They wish that so bad so that all the negativity of their lives would disappear. And this person has passed from death unto life and he is hungering and he is thirsting for a righteous nature. He wants his new life in Christ to be marked by the pursuits of those things which are holy and are righteous. Quite the contrary to what we were doing before we were saved. The things he hated before, he now loves. And notice third, that he seeks to be sanctified. Now, let me not confuse you, but the very moment that a person is saved, God begins this process of sanctification, essentially making you more into the image of his son. Most of us are not taken to heaven the very moment that we're saved. Some of us wish that that were the case. Uh, in fact, Elijah was actually scared as we were sharing with him the gospel that he was going to be taken to heaven the moment he was saved, and he was so worried about leaving us behind that it kind of delayed him from trusting in Christ for a while. But once we kind of explained it to him, and praise the Lord, he, the Lord opened his eyes to understand it. But most of us aren't taken to heaven right away when we're saved. And this process of sanctification, just to be clear, is not part of our salvation. You don't start a process by which you eventually get saved. It is a process that begins the very moment you're saved. It is what God is doing to us when he saves us and as he's preparing us for the future glory that we await. He's preparing us for a home in heaven that awaits every single believer. And for some people, it takes a matter of moments as they enter into God's presence shortly after being saved. And for others, it may last years as they live a long life here on this earth after being saved. Fifty years, Luana, praise the Lord. For your mom, sorry. I think, I think that was clear. But there's, there's really a threefold aspect to this idea of sanctification. And then first, the very moment you're saved, God sanctifies us right then, right then and there. In other words, we are immediately transformed from being a child of the devil to being a child of God. We're immediately going from being unsaved to saved. You're saved the very moment you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You go to being a child of God. You become one of his saints, one of a, a joint heir with Christ, the Bible says. But there's another aspect of sanctification where it presently, after being saved, we are undergoing this transformation where God is making us more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and we're given new desires. We're now led by the Holy Spirit who comes and indwells us to guide us into all truth, the Bible says. And third, this idea of sanctification isn't complete 
until we're received into the glories of heaven. So there's work that is being done on us until we're going to be received into heaven. But the idea of sanctification, again, don't get this confused with salvation because you're saved the very moment you trust in Jesus Christ. It's not a process. Sanctification is, is you're, you being set apart. God sets you apart the very moment you're saved to be a child of God, but he also starts this process whereby he's preparing you to be received into the glories of heaven. So there is a process to our reception into heaven, and that's all. And it's described for us, actually, in the Bible in 1 John chapter 3, in verse number 2, in case I've confused you. It says here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We're saved. We're saved right now. We're saved presently. That doesn't change. Now are we the sons of God, it says. And it goes on, it says, And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. So there's this idea that we're still being transformed, that there's a change that is going to take place. And he goes on, he says, It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, speaking of Christ, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So again, the idea is that as a believer, your desires have changed. You are seeking to set yourself apart from the sin that once characterized you. You desire that your entire life would show forth the fact that you are now a child of God. So God is working this on you as far as sanctifying you and getting you more into the image of his son. But we're also working simultaneously to cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit so that we're preparing as well. So there's a desire to be sanctified, but there's also a desire for more of God's grace. There's a desire for more of God's grace. When a believer experiences the grace of God in salvation, he can't help but feel how truly blessed he is to have God's grace in the first place. God's grace is never something that we can ever have enough of. We don't go to God and say, you know, thank you, I've, I've gotten enough. I've gotten my fill. It's never something that you ever get enough of. We never get to the point where we've received all that we're going to receive or where God has exhausted all that he can give out. The moment you taste God's grace is the moment you realize how much of it you want and you're going to take as much as God is going to offer. The one who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness will do all the necessary house cleaning to make sure that he has as much room as possible in his life for God's grace to completely fill him up. He will quit bad habits. He will make necessary lifestyle changes. He will do whatever needs to be done to see that he is making enough room to receive as much of God's grace as he'll pour out upon him. He is always hungering and thirsting to be made right and to stay right. So he constantly prays for more of God's grace so that he might be more like Christ every single day. He feels like he's never going to be satisfied until he can put every sin behind him and remove himself from every temptation. He feels like he'll never be satisfied until he's able to open his eyes and actually behold his Savior. So he's always working and always striving personally to be more like Christ. He wants more of God's grace. And fifth, he desires to see righteousness promoted. He desires to see righteousness promoted. The one who's hungering and thirsting after righteousness desires that others around him do the same. And he does what he can do to teach others how to get there. He desires that God always be honored. He desires that everyone would be genuine in their pursuit of righteousness. He grieves over sin. He grieves over the wickedness in the world around him. And he does the things that he can to make the world around him better. 
He hungers and thirsts after righteousness, not for his political party, not for any sort of personal agenda, but for a hunger and thirst for righteousness throughout the world. He has no desire to be elevated above anyone else, but that God be glorified and God's name always be magnified. So this is the object that is desired. But notice, second, the desire itself. What is the desire itself? Look again at verse number six. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The desire itself. And notice there is a twofold desire that is expressed in this verse. Hunger and thirst. Now we've all experienced what it is like to be thirsty or hungry. If we've labored all day outside under the heat of the sun, we might be incredibly thirsty to where we can drink an entire gallon of water with one sip. Or if we haven't eaten in a while and our stomachs have been grumbling for quite some time, begging us to feed it, we might inhale a plate of food in front of us so fast that it barely touches our tongue as we're swallowing it. We might do that. And certainly just hungering and thirsting would have been enough to motivate someone. But the idea expressed here is that the entirety of man's physical being is yearning for this. All of his cravings, all of his appetites, all of his desires are seeking after righteousness. This is not only something that the person wants, this is what he absolutely needs. They are completely empty, and the only thing to fill them is the spiritual maturity that is found in God's word. Do you see how a person gets to this point after climbing up this ladder of the Beatitudes? After climbing up the first three steps, he realizes first his own spiritual poverty, that he is absolutely poor in spirit. He then mourns over that horrible spiritual condition. He then humbles himself under God and under God's guidance and direction. And after that, he recognizes that the emptiness needs to be filled and the only thing to fill him is God's righteousness. Every ounce of him is yearning for this from God. And he'll not stop until he is filled. Now, there are several aspects of this desire that are worth pointing out. First, first of all, it is a real desire. It is a real desire. Just like hunger and thirst, the one desiring God's righteousness cannot just dismiss that desire. When you're hungry and thirsty, can you honestly just turn your mind away from the desire of getting food and getting something to drink? Can you just tell yourself, you know what, I'm not really that hungry. I'm not really that thirsty. When you're truly thirsty, when you're truly hungry, and your stomach has been grumbling for hours, can you really just dismiss that thought and say, I don't really need it? What starts happening when you start ignoring that desire? When you start, when you start ignoring those signs that your body's given you to drink something or to eat something what happens you get sick what else you get weak your body starts shutting down you can't function anymore you get dehydrated sometimes when you know for some of us if we're not eating by 12 o'clock it may be in the dictionary but there is a word that we've used it's called hangry and I think it's been added to the, some of the modern dictionaries. We get hangry, right? If we don't eat by a certain time, steer clear of that person. They used to have Snickers commercials 
where the person would be so upset because they haven't gotten food and someone hands a person the stickers and then they eat it and all of a sudden they change into a completely different person because now they're back to being their true self as opposed to being this absolutely belligerent person who needed something to eat. We get crazy when we're hungry, when we haven't had a meal in some time. So it's a, it's a real desire and you can't just dismiss it or change your mind and convince yourself that you don't need it. Even if you could for a little while. It's a real desire that is just not going to be forgotten. The longer you go without food and drink, the more you're going to desire it. You can't just tell someone who's starving, you know, just stop thinking about food. Your body keeps telling you you need it. You just can't turn that off. There are perhaps no greater physical desires that we can have than hunger and thirst. And that is why Jesus used this as an illustration of the believer who longs for spiritual fulfillment. The one who has realized his spiritual poverty. The one who has mourned over that. The one who has humbled himself before the Almighty God. Now hungers and thirsts for God to fill him. Are you getting the picture? He needs it. His entire body is longing and yearning for God. He wants to be changed. He wants more to be like Christ. He wants to break free from all the temptations of his sin. He wants to be holy. He will not be satisfied with anything short of God's righteousness. It's a real desire. But notice, second, it is a natural desire. It's a natural desire. Now, considering where the believer has come as they work their way up this ladder of the Beatitudes, it's a natural desire for him to be at this point. He recognizes that he's empty. He recognizes, therefore, that he needs to be filled. And what else would he be filled with other than God's righteousness? When God saves us and the Holy Spirit enters within us, we have a new nature within us, a new nature that now longs for God. The old nature never longed for God. The old nature was always at odds with God's, convinced that we didn't need God at all. And it never would need God. And the old nature hungered and thirsted after only those things that offered a temporary satisfaction and yielded no true growth. You don't need to tell a believer to desire holiness because the Holy Spirit puts that new desire within him. He knows that he needs to be doing this. Sometimes we'll get off course. Sometimes we may need to be reminded of where that course is. But the desire is there within every single believer to be striving to be more like the one that has saved them. It is the believer's natural desire. And notice third, it is an intense desire. It is an intense desire. Now think about this. What can be more intense than hungering and thirsting for something? Have you ever been so hungry that you've rummage through your fridge or you've rummaged through the cupboards in your kitchen looking for anything at all to eat. Anyone ever done this? I do this all the time, right? I've done this where things you would never consider eating under normal circumstances, all of a sudden they start look appealing. Right, Bob? You, you would turn your nose up to certain things, but like at the end of the week when you know, you're, grocery, you're, you're set to go grocery shopping, but you haven't done it yet, you're looking at things in the fridge and you're thinking, I would never eat this, but today may be the day. Today may be the day because of how hungry you are. All of a sudden, those things sound appealing because of how hungry you are. Growing up, I can talk about my mom because she's not here. But she would save everything, everything, including food. 
Every once in a while, you'd find something in the cupboard or in the fridge that had expired not a week ago, not a month ago, but several years ago. There were a few times where I felt so desperate that I actually considered eating something. And I had, you had to check the expiration date on all the stuff that we found in our, in our kitchen because it was always questionable. Unless you were there when you saw it, it was bought from the store, it was always questionable. So you checked the expiration date. There was a few times where I considered eating something that had long expired. There were some times where you'd, you'd reach back into the far reaches of the cupboard and you'd reach behind some cans of soup or something like that and you'd grab something as there was plastic wrapper around something. You think, oh man, maybe I got lucky and there's a Rice Krispie Street back here. So you pull it up and pull it out and you're thinking and you're, as you're staring at this Twinkie that is now green and solid and you're thinking, should I do it? <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course. But sometimes hunger leads us to be so desperate where we're open to eating anything. Both hunger and thirst are intense desires. And even though we may be able to hold them off for a while, eventually they're going to consume us until we do something to satisfy them. And the believer who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness, he cannot live without righteousness. He needs it. He feels the way that the psalmist did in Psalm 130 in verse number six. It says, Psalm 130, verse 6, My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Psalm 130, verse 6, My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Are we desiring God's righteousness that much? It is an intense desire. And notice fourth, it is a painful desire. It is a painful desire with everything that this believer has been through and all that he has come to understand about himself and his own condition before the Almighty God. It's painful for him to continue as things have been. He needs more of Christ. He needs a closer walk and a closer fellowship with Christ. His heart aches because he understands that he is missing something that is vital for his own spiritual maturity. He finds himself crying out like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7.24 where he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He's just upset as to where he is and where, as opposed to where he should be. So it's a painful desire. And notice fifth, it is also an energetic desire. It is an energetic desire. The one who is hungry and thirsty will do anything to satisfy that need. There's an old proverb that says, hunger breaks through stone walls. Hunger breaks through stone walls. And a believer who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness will stop at nothing to get closer to God. In Acts chapter 8, we read about a man who traveled to Jerusalem from Ethiopia. And after traveling all the way, and he went for one purpose, to hear the gospel, to hear about this Jesus that he's been hearing about. And so he travels from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem to worship God and to hear the gospel. And I'll be honest, we need more believers to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness because it is these types of people who will stop at nothing to get the gospel to those that need to hear it. This hunger and thirst is energetic and often molds a person's character. 
He may be ridiculed for how energetic he is, but he holds fast to his integrity. And it doesn't matter what situation he's in, he is always going to bring the conversation back to Christ and the gospel. We need more energetic people like this. And notice sixth, it is a sign of spiritual life. It is a sign of spiritual life. No unbeliever ever hungered and thirsted for righteousness. And I pray that we all would have a healthy appetite for Christ, that we would be filled with him and his righteousness. I pray that we would hunger and thirst after those things which are honest, after those things which are just and pure and lovely and of a good report. Many people think that they are doing as they should when they are just filling themselves with all things that they want. The one who is truly filled, though, is the one who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Now, we've looked at the object that is desired. We've looked at the desire itself. But notice third, the blessing. Because the verse closes with this note. It says, for they shall be filled. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The blessing. We use that word filled a lot. But does anyone truly get filled? We might eat a big meal and say, well, I am full. I cannot have another bite. But then you wake up in the morning and breakfast rolls around and are you still full? No. You need to eat again. And then noon rolls around and are you still full? No. You need to eat again. And this cycle just continues to go throughout the day where you say that you may be filled, but you need to be constantly filled over and over again. Somehow when it's time for this next meal, we need, are ready to eat again even though we are full. And the idea of being filled here carries with it a lasting satisfaction. Never again will the believer be hungry or thirsty. It's interesting the way God designed us because we are constantly hungering and thirsting for things, aren't we? We get a little, and then we want a little bit more, right? Sometimes we even tell ourselves, if I just had a little bit more, I'd be content. Then God gives us that, and we think, oh, maybe just a little bit more, and then I'd be, just a little bit more. And it never ends. It never ends. We're always wanting a little bit more. God has made it so that man's heart cannot be completely filled, but by God himself. So that's why when we get a little bit of stuff here on this earth, we're never completely satisfied. There's a momentary satisfaction where we feel good and then five minutes later it wears off and we think, oh, it'd be great if I had a little more. And we don't get completely full unless we fill it with God. And he's designed it to be that way so that there's always something missing in the heart of man as long as he is not there. When a person is saved, he gets what his heart has been lacking his entire life. Is there anything that anyone else can ever offer you that is better than God's gift of grace? Absolutely not. God's blessing is full and God's blessing is complete. He doesn't give you something and then say, okay, you're halfway there. Now fill the rest with other stuff. He gives you everything that you were lacking, everything that you needed in order for salvation, and he gives it all to you. His blessing is full and complete. It is also an appropriate blessing. God promises to give those believers who are hungry and thirsty 
what they need. Again, it says, blessed are they which do, which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. They get what they needed. He is going to satisfy their desires by making them full. The ones who are seeking after God will get what they desire. It is also an abundant blessing. Look again at what it says there in verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It is an abundant blessing. Christ didn't say, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be fed. He says, they shall be filled. In other words, they shall have all that they ever need and enough to spare. Those who hunger and thirst after God shall have blessings that are literally poured out upon them so much so that there will not be room enough to receive them. They will be overflowing with God's blessings. When we believed on Jesus, we went from being unrighteous before God to being righteous in his sight, all because of the righteousness that we have through Jesus Christ. As believers, we have Christ's righteousness, and the idea is it's, it's imputed to us. It's taken from his account, and it's put onto our account. So when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of his only begotten son. We're covered in it. We are filled with it. But more than that, we have a new nature in Jesus Christ. The very moment we're saved, we've received a new nature, which is described for us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. God has set us apart and given us a new nature, one that is a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And then in the next book, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 4, it says this, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What an encouragement this is for those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We have the ability to be partakers, the Bible says, of the divine nature. Everything we need is within us the moment we are saved. And more than that, we're told that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell every single believer, and he is there the moment we're saved. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Now, I know this is nothing new that you're hearing, but how often do you stop and consider that God is literally dwelling within you? He is literally dwelling within you as a child of God. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he is your Savior, the Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity, is literally dwelling within you. I guarantee that we would talk and act differently based on that being true. As it is, we talk and act differently depend on, depending on those that we're around. Isn't that true? And what the Bible is telling us is that God is always around. Even if you wanted to, you're not escaping him. Jonah found that out. He tried to play hide and seek with God and he failed miserably. 
And literally, the Bible says the very moment you're saved, you are marked off, you are set apart, you are sanctified by the Holy Spirit who comes and lives within you. So even if you get angry at God for some illegitimate reason, he is still living within you. He doesn't take a vacation and say, okay, I'm going to go over here while you cool off. He is within you the entire time. And how many of us really stop and consider that? We act differently when we're around a certain group of people. We may talk differently here at church as opposed to how we are at work or in some other area, the restaurant or a store or something like that. Because we're cautious and sensitive to the people that are around us. But how often do we stop and consider that it is God who is literally dwelling within you? He is literally living inside of you. I'll be honest with you, it is pretty convicting to be reminded of this truth. Because at times, I'm ashamed of the things that I let come out of my mouth. I'm ashamed of some of the things that I find myself doing. I think if we're all honest, then we'd admit that we're not living each day thinking about the fact that the Holy Spirit is literally living within us every moment of every day as a Christian. Our behavior and our conversation would look so much different if that were the case. If we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, we should consider ourselves filled because God has given us immeasurable blessings. We're not going to be perfect. But the Holy Spirit who has taken up residence within us is actively working to drive that sin out of you. The good news is that God keeps each of his children eternally secure. And that work of sanctification, which he started the very moment we were saved, will not cease until we are received into glory. God never begins a work that he will not complete. And God has never failed anything that he has undertaken, and God will never fail. There is coming a day where we as believers will stand before God spotless, blameless, pure, innocent, and sinless. So take heart in knowing that if you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you are already on the winning team. The battle is still going to rage. Opposition will still stand before you, but God is on his throne, and righteousness alone through Jesus Christ will always triumph. Blessed are the believers who know that they stand for a righteous cause, even if victory isn't seen in their lifetime. So keep standing up for what is right. Hold fast to the word of truth and stand strong uh, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Follow after righteousness. Follow after holiness in every area of your life. Don't compromise on standards regardless of how tempting it may be. Follow after what is true, not which appears to be beneficial. Follow after what is just and don't just blindly follow human authority. One day you're going to be part of the Lord's army when he returns to conquer all of his foes. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to be there marching for the cause of Christ. You're going to be active then, so why not start being active today? The battle rages today, so start standing for Christ today. Stand for truth as long as you live. Or do as it says here, hunger and thirst after righteousness. For when you do, you shall be filled. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us the answers, Lord, as to what the Christian life should look like, how we should pattern our lives as believers. I know, Lord, that each of us may find ourselves on a different step of this ladder, but Lord, I pray that you would 
Help us to continue ascending up the ladder in spiritual maturity as well as descending down this ladder in submission to your will. Lord, it's certainly a journey, one that isn't going to be made in, in one giant leap, but in many small steps. I pray for your guidance. I pray for the power that we need to continue to succeed. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to be long-suffering toward us as we struggle almost every day. But Lord, continue to mold us into the image of your Son and help us along this journey of life as we look forward to the day that you will ultimately call us to our eternal home. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Tonight is